So hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all to the latest H2 Tech podcast. And today on this episode, we have a very special guest joining us, Alex Habeter, who is the head of business strategy for Siemens Energy's sustainable energy systems business. Now, today we're going to be diving into the hydrogen landscape, including financing projects, Siemens JV with Air Liquid and supply chains. So we got a lot to get to on this episode. So I want to go ahead and welcome in our special guest. Alex, how are you doing today? Great, Lee. Thank you for having me. How are you today? So far, so good. And, and, and really, we know how busy you are. So really want to thank you for, for providing us a couple minutes of your time today. Um, and, and now before we jump into some of the questions I had for you, um, can you let the listeners know a little bit more about Siemens Energy and, of course, your role with the company? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So Siemens Energy is a global leader in the energy business. Um, I think um, it's interesting to know that, you know, a sixth of the global electricity generation is based on our technology. And we employ over 90,000 people across 90 countries in the world. And um, what we actually do is, you know, as an integrated technology company, we support our customers along the entire energy value chain. That means, you know, we from from low to zero carbon emission power generation, that is our gas service division and our colleagues from Siemens Gamesa for the uh, wind business, they do these low carbon and zero carbon power generation. Then we can move on down the value chain to the transport and storage of energy from our grid technology colleagues. And then moving on to the business where I'm part of is the transportation of industries where we're trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and energy consumption and industrial processes. And in that, you have um, our department, which is called Sustainable Energy Systems. And our primary focus is on hydrogen, power to X, hybrid systems, and PV. And um, therein, I'm the uh, head of strategy. Excellent. So I know I'm talking to the right person then for this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so great. Yeah. Now I want to dive into this because we, we got some really important aspects uh, that are going on within the hydrogen value chain. So to start off transitioning to a clean hydrogen economy, of course, it's going to involve a lot of different challenges. Um, one of the areas, of course, is the slow pace of approvals and the lack of in infrastructure. Now, simultaneously, we actually just republished an article from uh, one of your colleagues, and she mentioned that around 70 percent of the clean energy investment over the next decade is expected to come from private developers, consumers, and financiers. So my question then is, how can governments effectively support regulation, uh, provide financial support and risk distribution to attract all of that private financing to make green hydrogen um, you know, a sustainable business model? Awesome question. Fastball straight down the middle. Um, sure. So. You know, if, if you look at where we are currently um, on a global scale, uh, governments around the world have set themselves ambitious targets to re decarbonize and uh, reduce emissions. Um, specifically on the hydrogen side, I think we can all agree that it is a puzzle piece in solving our decarbonization challenges. And that technology is 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 ready right now already. So we can we can start really scaling and bringing it into the market. And the industry, you know, one of us being a player therein, we're willing to invest, which we're you know also proving and probably touch later on it. Um, we're investing into our gigafactory. But the main challenge is that policymakers still need to establish, you know, clear enabling conditions. 
Um, the most recent uh, thing that 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 I currently read is that the uh, the International Energy Agency, just in their global hydrogen review, uh, stated that the lagging policy support um, and rising cost pressures are slowing down the hydrogen market, and um, that's something that we we really need to push the different uh, government entities around the world to you know tell them you need to support us. And you know I would say there are three main essential points that we need to move forward uh, to create you know a scalable and reliable clean hydrogen economy the first one they're in being you know you you said it in your intro we need to accelerate timelines for permitting and we need faster approvals so this is one thing that's that's really been pulling us down um uh, as, as as the hydrogen economy we need to have specific fundings of capex but more importantly of the opec side of things for hydrogen production and we need to you know, improve our supply chain security drastically to ensure that we can also deliver on the promises that we're making. And to, to, to break that down a little more, you know, on the first one, to accelerating the timelines for permitting and the fast approvals, um, you know, there are a lot of announcements out there right now related to hydrogen projects, and they continue to increase. But you know, only a handful of those have really reached the final investment decision. And much of this is due to the uncertainty about the economic attractiveness to, to serve the future demand. You know, and you know, however, the complex regulatory frameworks and the slow pace of approvals and permits are, are also hindering this progress. So this is something that we really need to work on. And who can help bear, better there than the governments and regulatory bodies? You know, they have to they have to must collaborate with the private sector to create you know an enabling environment that encourages investments and stimulates innovation. And um, specifically, you know, we have to get this out and have faster permitting of commercial scale electrolyzer plants and dedicated renewable generating capacity. So it's it, because at the end of the day, we always talk about the, the, the scaling up of, of the hydrogen business, but we're very dependent on scaling up the electrons that feed into these electrolyzers as well. And if you want to do it in a sustainable uh, decarbonized way, you know, renewables is the way to go. So we also have to um, push those permitting activities forward in a much faster pace. And that, you know, that brings me to the second part, you know, the the, the specific CAPEX and OPEX funding for, for, for hydrogen production. You know, establishing this hydrogen economy will require hundreds of millions of dollars of investments from the public and private sectors over the coming decades. You know, um, in, if, if you look into the, the net zero emissions uh, that the uh, International Energy Agency estimates that by in their 2050 scenario, that around 70% of the clean energy investments over the next decade will come from private developers, consumers, and financiers. So there, there is a need for action. And to attract private equity and debt financing, governments must support that, you know, hydrogen production, COPEX, but more importantly, OPEX, because, you know, at the end of the day, the COPEX is a one-off, but these plants are supposed to run, you know, for one, two decades, ideally. And the OPEX side of things is something that is really severely impacting the business cases. So we need upfront funding and tax incentives. And progress, don't get me wrong, right? Progress has been made in the recent years. 
you know, in the United States, you guys have most prominently the the IRA, and in Europe, we've had different funding mechanisms therein. Also, being you know the the IPSE projects and others that that are pushing these, but the complexity and the bureaucracy behind applying to these funds, and and being able to move through the stages quickly is 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 just not there. It's just way too complex, and we have to cut through that complexity. And governments have to help support to 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 simplify these things. So, you know, and you know. Governments must continue to explore how they can provide support to bridge the cost between the gray and green, because at the end of the day, business cases will only work if the incumbent being, you know, the gray or other whatever rainbow that is today available of, of hydrogen um, is when if green hydrogen and then just become competitive to that. And that gap really has to be closed and the disconnect between the number of announced hydrogen projects and the ones who have actually reached that financial close, from my point of view, currently shows that the incentive frameworks that are in place do need to be revised or revisited a little bit to keep pushing that forward. And the last point, you know, I mentioned is you know, we have to improve our security of, of, of the supply chain. If you, if you look at what the intentions are, where we want to go, the coming build out of renewable capacity, including the, the, the electrons specifically from wind and solar and the electrolyzer plants will pressure existing supply chains. You know, relevant electrolyzer technologies as ours, the PEM, use precious metals such as iridium and platinum. And you know, wind turbines also use several rare earth metals. And with the demand for these materials, you know, maybe expected to surge, steps must be taken to harden those supply chains, increase resiliency. And so diversification is actually pretty critical here. And I can give you an example from, 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 from our own past. You know, if you, if you go back five years, um, our supply chain for the critical components of our systems, you know, they were sourced in a you know, 50 mile radius around, around our headquarter. Why? Because it was just a, still a small up and coming business. And the people who were working on the scenes were our R&D engineers. And, you know, and their focus was to really get the technology off the ground, but not look into how can I make this as cheap as possible right now, because first we want to get it working. And if I like five years where we are today, today, you know, we have more than one supplier critical on our critical components only. We have, you know, two, three uh, suppliers and they're not in that 50 kilometer radius anymore. You know, we're, we're expanding globally. And that, that is that those are great achievements. I know that many of our competitors now that's out there are doing the same thing, which will help, of course, get costs down and, you know, diversify the supply chain. But the important things is, you know, coming back to the rare metals, um, you know, Governments can also help to be proactive and negotiate, you know, mutual beneficial trade agreements with with countries where we know that, you know, these these rare elements are mined and um, therefore also try to mitigate some geopolitical factors at the end of the day. So that, that's sort of the, the three things that I, I, I really see we, we still need to really move faster to get this to get this going and scale it up. Excellent. Now, now. There was a couple items there that I definitely it was a great segue into the rest of the conversation here. And then of course, the the rare earth metals and, and a lot of these components that are needed uh, in the hydrogen value chain. I really want to get back to that, especially when we're talking about supply chains. But one of the things that I wanted to focus on first was, of course, electrolyzer capacity build out. Now, you mentioned, of course, the the joint venture that you had with Air Liquide uh, early in your answer. 
And for those that are listening now, so Siemens Energy and Air Liquide formed a JV to build a multi-gigawatt factory. And um, I believe that's going to start this fall. Uh, and it's located in Berlin, Germany. Um, now, one of the aspects that I want to ask is why was Berlin selected instead of some other various locations? Like you mentioned the United States where the IRA poses this huge attractive incentive for green hydrogen production. So why why Berlin? <laughs> yeah. Um... The, the IRA does really pose is, is very interesting and, and we're also looking into that. Um, but Berlin, you know, building the gigafactory that we're building and we're actually going to open it now in, in the first week of November or second week. Um, so we're very much looking forward to that. But when we took the decision um, to, to really build this factory, um, that, that was two years back already and the IRA wasn't really a thing yet. And um, other government mechanisms here in Europe were already a thing. So we also looked into the the um, important the IPSE projects, important projects of common European interest. There we go. And um, but one thing we've learned as being in the space already for for quite some time is that you know if you go with funding specifically on a larger level, the EU level or or the IRA level, you know this go this comes with some kind of complexity. I also mentioned earlier. And um, we decided to okay, let's let's do this on 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 a German uh, funding level only, and therefore move a little quicker. Um, why Berlin specifically? Well, the the heart of our engineering capabilities and and uh, R and D capabilities st is still in Germany, and um, within our site in in Berlin, we have the 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 availability of space um, and we decided to to put it there to a keep it close to the engineering and and, and the R&D and b use the available um, footprint we have to of course reduce costs at the same time um, that being said you know uh, if the economy now just moves faster and projects start pushing past FID and and the market really starts picking up where which we believe that there's a way to go you know, we're we're looking into if if it makes sense to to also increase our footprint to the United States. Excellent. So, with this partnership that you're doing with Airlikeed, how is that partnership going to say ramp up capacity for electrolyzers and accelerate the availability of of competitive renewable hydrogen in a region like Europe? And and of course, how does that affect manufacturing plans and then collaboration on future uh, electrolyzer development? Yeah, sure. So, you know, Air Liquide is is one of the biggest and most professional global gas companies there are and they've been handling hydrogen amongst other gases for decades and and they know precisely what we're doing so we're actually we're actually um very proud of the fact that they that they decided to make this move with us and actually also you know create the joint venture invest into this manufacturing joint venture we have with them because it it, it just also shows that and they've they've clearly said this right they're, they're very our technology is at the beginning of, of a maturity cycle and there's still a lot of things to do the entire industry has to mature and we still have a long way to go as well but they believe that our technology has the perfect um you know foundation to move swiftly down into the next stages and improve performance reliability availability and all the important factors that that are necessary to make your big business case um a good one and um you know how how do they help us scale up um you know there there's the the easy things at the end of the day it's a joint venture so we're sharing 
the capics of it at the same time, which you know, are relieves you know our burden on on a, on a cash side, and we can um, you know reallocate that to to R and D, for example. Um, and you know, just to give you a little of the manufacturing plan that that we want to have in place, um, we're going to open it, like I said, uh, the second week of November um, this year, and we're going to start off with a one gigawatt capacity, um, and we're foreseeing to ramp it up to three gigawatts, and all that is in place. So you know, all we set aside the money, the orders are in place, and as we speak, they're actually uh, installing the robots so that we can open on time next month, and. <laughs> You know, if, if we take it beyond that, um, this is just going to be one line within the building. The building still has a lot of room, so there's still a lot of um, opportunity to put additional um, uh, production lines into the building and, and continue increasing and scaling up and then tapping more into those economies of scale that will bring the cost down. And you know, you also said, you know, the the how can how can they help us uh, develop uh, our current electrolyzer system? You know, they they. Like I said, they're they're one of the major gas players. Um, they've been handling um, hydrogen for for decades, so they know exactly what they're doing, and they're helping us from a from from an operator side and telling us, you know, how can we improve um, the engineering of of our electrolysis systems to bring them to the next level to really uh, comply with the requirements of a commercial scale market. And we have a joint development agreement in place specifically to um, harness the, the that um, complementary know-how we have. You know, we're good on the uh, designing of the electrochemistry of, of the system and they're good and they know how they want to operate and bring all that knowledge together. And we, we really expect that um, the next systems that we will put in place um, will improve much, much and bring the cost down. Hmm. And now my next question, I wanted to jump back to what you were talking about, especially when, when you mentioned things about raw materials and supply chains. So that's kind of where I'm going with this question. With the new electrolyzers that are coming out and the amount that are coming out, you know, this protect this projected surge in demand of raw materials, things like precious metals, rare earth elements, that's going to grow significantly, especially when we're looking at things like renewable energy capacity. So you touched on it a little bit, but how can supply chains be diversified and secured, especially to avoid those disruptions and things like geopolitical risk? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the best the best defense is playing on offense most of the time. So being able to diversify the supply chain is one thing, but the innovation aspect is actually the driving factor that, that we're also focusing on. So, you know, the best way to not rely on the precious metals is in an ideal world not to use them. Um, for our purpose, that, that is not possible yet, but um, we're, we have a very clear roadmap where we want to go to reduce the amount um, of precious metals um, that we use in our system to bring the cost down. Um, and But there are, you know, redu reducing those metals is one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is looking into completely different materials, but diversifying from an innovation aspect, I think that's that's the first thing that we look at. And that's the, you know, on the top of our list to make sure how can we even avoid getting into that precious metal dilemma if you want to. That being said, you know, the the entire that is, you know, on our list, we very, very close look at the developments um, and we have regular analysis 
where um, the different precious metal prices are going and you know we create scenarios for that ultimately we cannot influence um, geopolitical risks but what we can do is of course and this is this is the great part about being you know a small innovative and uh, unit within this big company that is very professional you know we have this um huge very professional strategic procurement department with, with within uh, Siemens Energy and you know when we uh, a few years back also started talking about what are the risks of, of using iridium specifically how can we mitigate those risks you know we said okay but then let's have a strategic pro uh, pro um, procurement approach to all of this and create a plan which of course I can't share in detail but um, how we manage um, the buying and selling of iridium to ensure that with the ramp up of our capacity that we will have sufficient um, iridium available to ensure that we can um, grow and penetrate the market. Excellent. So uh, again, really want to thank you for your time, Alex. I got one last question for you, and it's it's about, of course, pilot projects that are going on globally. There's a lot of those that, that are going on. And I'm kind of curious, from your point of view, what lessons can be drawn from these ongoing pilot projects? And then those lessons, how can they be applied more broadly? Yeah, good question. Um, so one of the things that that we see from the the pilot projects that we're in is you know people funding takes longer than expected a lot a lot of our customers and since the business cases for for green hydrogen aren't viable yet and we still have to push them there um there are one two projects where where there are certain conditions where it's already viable where it works out but that's not that's just you know that's not the majority of them there's just a few so when we talk to customers, we we also try to help them and say, listen, how are you? How is your business case going? How can we help you from our little perspective, providing the technology to enable you to get your funding? And then we also, in in certain regions, we have a few experts. Not everywhere, but in Europe, we're we're quite quite strong, as well as in the United States, and we can help customers develop, um, you know, their their business cases. And, and support them so that they can get the funding so that the project moves forward past FID. Another thing that 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 I've I've been seeing is that, you know, there, there's a funny saying in German where, it's, you know, loosely translated, it's uh, the farmer doesn't eat what he doesn't know, um, which I would, you know, sort of, sort of uh, bring into context that everybody currently approaches sales and implementation of, of hydrogen projects on on their processes from the industries where they come from so there there is no there's no you know standardized way of 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 of, of um, you know developing these projects right now because everybody is bringing in their know-how from from what they've done in the past and that's still a way to go and that's just a a, a learning that we in the economy have to have to run through and I, I hope we run through it very fast but i can my main takeaway is that everybody should focus on what they do best right so don't don't try to do it alone bring partners into the game and and collaborate and be open with them and share with them uh, information uh, in order to move on and, and bring these uh, projects um, past fid because that's that's everyone's interest right and yeah that, that's those are the, the three main things i actually would contribute to that question
Well, absolutely. No, I mean, it's, it's some great advice. So yeah. And, and again, I really want to thank you, Alex, for, for providing us a couple minutes, especially to discuss a lot of these crucial aspects and challenges that are going on within the global hydrogen value chain. So really, really want to thank you for your time today. Um, and lastly, of course, we want to thank all of you for listening to H2 Tech's podcast series, H2 Tech Talk. 